You're listening to a podcast from St Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, if you'd open your Bibles, please. We are into Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in this, our second session, an introduction to God and each of us. An introduction to God and each of us. As we come to the Lord's Word, let's beg God's help. Heavenly Father, please be with us as we now uh, come to this, our second session. Please may we behold wonderful things out of your law. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in the first session, we looked at the introduction to the Psalter from Psalm 1 and 2, the good rule of God, God's word, and the good ruler of God, God's King and God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this second session, we're going to examine an introduction to God and each of us. Now, uh, let me start by making a confession of sorts. As a young Christian in Melbourne, uh, I lived relatively close to our local Christian bookstore. Back in the day when Christian bookstores were not, you know, the the swish, well-organized businesses they are today, but it was a tiny family-run milk bar kind of business and all of the shelves were like from the second-hand tip or something and they were all eclectic and uh, the only Bibles available were all from the Bible Society, that kind of bookstore. Now, I was a young but pretty keen Christian. I knew nothing about theology, so I thought I'll go to the Christian bookstore and I'll rumble around in the bargain bin. Uh, So I came home once, and I still have this volume at home. My very, very first theology textbook came out of the bargain bin in this ancient bookstore. It had a very impressive title. It was Grenz and Olson's 20th Century Theology. That's so last century, isn't it? Literally. Uh, I'm not sure I recommend it today, uh, but I did read it all those years ago. And uh, an overarching theme or idea that still, still stuck with me from Grenz and Olson is this, that all of theology can be thought of as a tension between two aspects of God. The transcendence of God, the idea that God is great and big and above all and mighty and the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, and the imminence of God, that is the idea that God is our friend. He's right with us. We can pray to him. He will speak to us. Uh, he uh, relates to us and cares for us and loves for each of us. So there you go. The transcendence of God and the imminence of God. Now, those are two important ideas about God that turn up again and again and again and again in the Psalms, throughout the Psalter. And surprise, surprise, here uh, they are in Psalm 19 as well. So before we launch into Psalm, let me make three opening observations, three opening observations about God and each of us. Uh, Firstly, the imminence of God. Uh, The Psalms speak to the range of human experience. They connect our experience with God. We love the Psalms, each of us, because they give voice 
to the imminence of God in our human experience, don't they? Time and time again, the, the psalmist uses the language of God being near, assumes that God is there hearing the prayers and the pleadings of the psalmist, it longing for God to be near, pleading with God to hear and answer prayers. And in these passages are absolute nuggets of spiritual gold, aren't they? We, we love such passages for their intimacy, their, rela their relatability to our circumstances, the poetry, the, the personal expression, the way they give voice to our own inner spiritual yearnings. Uh, on the plane ride on the way up, I just thought I'd open the, the, the book of Psalms again and run through a quick list of some of our favorite uh, passages like these. So from Psalm 8, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or Psalm 11, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock in whom I take refuge. Or Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid. Or Psalm 30, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Or 42, as the deer pants for the waters, so my heart longs after you. Or when we have sinned, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. I could have kept going in that list. There's many, many more. But I was in the aisle seat and the person next to me wanted to get up and, you know, do their stuff. So that's the list for today. You should try it sometime. Get a paper Bible and just, again, as I mentioned before, get a highlighter, read through the Psalms and just highlight the verses that speak to God's imminence, His nearness and our desire for His nearness. Uh, highlight those verses that give voice to your inner yearning, your sense of what you want to say, what, what you would say to God if only you had the words. And hey, presto, you do have the words. They are right here in the Psalms. So first observation, the imminence of God, how the Psalms speak to and give expression to our longing for God who is near us, that we would be nearer to Him, that we would understand Him and He would understand us. Now, second observation is, the transcendence of God, you know, imminence of God, transcendence of God. God is transcendent, but somehow he has made himself known to us. For just as the Psalms express the notion that God is very near, they also do complete justice to the idea that God is the capital G-O-D, God. You know, in, in a very real sense, he's described not as near and... Uh, a buddy or a bestie or a comfortable, safe, grandfatherly figure. But this other idea that he is also the Lord of hosts, coming in judgment, powerful in creation and in sustaining creation, the great king, high above all other kings, the one who has a son who's going to come with that rod of iron and smash the powers of the world like pottery. The God who sits far above and beyond the created order, for he created all things, and by his power he sustains them all. So again, you can read this altar and pick a different highlighter. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Or 9. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. Or 11, 
The Lord is in, is in his holy temple on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. Or Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So, many, many other Psalms in which we see clearly the character of God as awesome, transcendent ruler of the universe. But somehow, he's not distant and unknowable and too transcendent or too high and unknown and, and not possible, possible to be known. For the God of the Psalms is the mighty creator and holy judge. There is a transcendent element to his character, but he is the same God who has also made himself known to us. He's transcendent in power and glory and holiness, yet he's also made a way for us to approach him, to know him, to understand him, and to come into relationship with him. How? Well, first idea was the imminence of God. Second idea, the transcendence of God. And now the third observation, that the Psalms contain the covenant story of God, which is really the story of how this God who's transcendent and high can also be this God who's imminent and near. For the Psalms bear witness to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the God who has been part of the human story and who is indeed made clear, revealed himself and his part in the human story and, as we'll see in Psalm 19, in the human context. Through the covenant or through the promise of faith made to the family of Abraham and again later to David, who features so highly in the Psalter. We know God because God has made clear and preserved for us the narrative of his dealings with humanity. He created all things. We know that from Genesis. And all persons are made in his image. But of all the nations of the earth, he made himself clearly and specially known to Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 12 and following. The entire Old Testament testifies to this covenant relationship that God makes, a special relationship that God makes with a particular people in a particular time and place in human history. And through that, those people, we get, of course, King David, great King David's greatest son, our Lord Jesus, and then the God who makes himself known to all the nations, whether Jew or Gentile. That's the New Testament story. Now, we hear this tune everywhere in the Psalms. In all the mentions of Zion and Jerusalem, the holy city upon God's hill, in all the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134, celebrating ascending to the Temple Mount of Jerusalem for worship, all those psalms speak of the covenant story of God with the nation of Israel, with the people of God. So we read, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Psalm 122. See, there's the imminence of God. He's with this people, the transcendence of God. He's the mighty king and ruler and the covenant story of God, we're going to a particular place in a particular time to worship him in a particular way as his, he has dictated in his word. Well, these three big themes, unsurprisingly, imminence, transcendence, and covenant story, all coalesce in Psalm 19, to which we now turn. May I read it for us? The heavens declare the glory of God. 
the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, one of my favourite books on the Psalms uh, is John Stott's favourite Psalms, currently out of print, according to Amy. <laughs> Sad, but uh, if you can find one secondhand, sell your shirt and buy it. Uh, in this volume, John uh, selects his favourite Psalms and basically gives you a little Bible study, John Stott Bible study on each of those Psalms. It's pure, it's rolled gold. Uh, Don Carson, uh, the celebrated New Testament academic, uh, said of John Stott, it's as if John was gifted by God with a magic hammer. And with the magic hammer, he'd tap on the Bible text and would fall apart into its natural God-ordained divisions. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing image? Well, uh, John Stott taps on Psalm 19 and it falls into three God-ordained parts. Uh, here they are, ready for your notes. Three parts, verses 1 to 6, general revelation. Verses 7 through to 11, special revelation. And verses 11 to the end, personal revelation. General revelation, special revelation, personal revelation. Let's take them in turn. First, general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. I live along uh, one side of what's called the Daninong Creek in Melbourne, uh, the western side to be precise. Uh, calling it a creek valley does it absolutely no justice. From the cliff in my local park, I look across maybe six or seven kilometers of the valley flatland and uh, across to the base of Mount Daninong, which is part of the Daninong Ranges, which then rises some 500 meters straight up into the eastern horizon. So two days ago, I was on a morning walk uh, and I took a photo, a bad photo. It's on my phone, I can show you later. But it was just the most sublime, glorious sunrise. You know, looking out to the east, uh, the entire ri uh, river valley was blanketed in a snowy, white, low fog. And out of the fog emerged the darkness of the looming Daninongs, black 
and behind it, the glow of the sunrise, you know, from the northern to the southern horizon, filling up the eastern sky. It was just spectacular. And something in my heart went, praise the Lord. You know? Well, something in my heart should actually have gone, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Please notice verse 3, uh, there are no words, even though they don't use words. It's not as if the sunrise speaks to us or there's a sky writer. It's just the sheer glorious beauty and majesty of so much of creation does that. They have no words, yet, verse 4, their voice goes into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And that's true all around the world, isn't it? It's an almost universal human experience. Whenever a human being beholds the natural beauty of the created order, something in our heart sings out, cries out, praise the Lord. There must be a God. Look at this. Glorious. Wow. Amazing. There's something here that's bigger than me, bigger than humanity, more beautiful, more interested in beauty and lavishness in creation. And what the psalmist here is saying is, well, this is general revelation. God's way of revealing in a general, non-specific way through the beauty and glory and power and might and majesty of the created order that there is a power beyond this world that has caused this world to be. We keep reading in verse 5, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Uh, that's exactly right, isn't it? Because this squares with the Genesis account. You remember that Genesis 1 is really written as a polemic against the Babylonian creation myths, uh, where uh, in every other religion, the created order gives birth to gods and deities. But in the Hebrew worldview, God stands ex nihilo, outside of creation, and from Him alone comes everything. So in the heavens, God has, yeah, you know, in His spare time, He's just pitched a little tent for the sun. That's what He's done. And this sun is like a bridegroom coming out of this chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. Uh, just, just listen to the language of joy, like a bridegroom joyfully coming out of His wedding chamber, before or after the marriage. Doesn't matter. He's a happy laddie that day, isn't he? Like a champion running his race. He owns this race. He knows he's going to win. He runs with joy. His course is a blessing from across the heavens for all the earth from, from God. General revelation. God reveals himself to all humanity through his works. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121, 124, 134. He created all things, owns all things, sustains all things. Psalm 24, Psalm 104. So when our unbelieving friends and family, when the people at our front lines see something beautiful in creation, they are looking at God's handiwork. Our job is to remind them of Psalm 19 and of the Psalms. Our job is to stand alongside them, you know, at that viewpoint in Toowoomba where I've been, you know, and go, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. But 
as you and I know, general revelation is not enough. It's not enough for saving knowledge of God. No one gets converted from looking at a sunset, do they? They might begin a journey, but they don't get converted. General revelation is not enough for saving knowledge of God. Not enough to establish, create, or sustain a relationship with the covenant-keeping, covenant-story God of the Bible. You know, from time to time, uh, I have the, a, a kind of sad conversation, but super predictable conversation with someone who's kind of like checked out of church a bit and whatever. And I said, so what are you doing on Sundays now? And I said, oh, you know, uh, God's in the garden. You know, I, I feel closer to God when I'm in the garden. Or I go to walks in my beautiful national park. I feel closer to God when I'm in creation. And I go, that's wonderful because all creation belongs to God. The heavens declare, the earth declares, it's all God's. But it is not enough to sustain a relationship with the covenant-keeping God of the Bible. For that, we need verses 7 through to 11. Special revelation. Special revelation. Special revelation is nothing other than the Holy Scriptures. Just cast your eye over that section. It's the law of the Lord. It's the word of God. Or as we saw in our first talk, it's the good rule of God. Theologians use the word special when what they really mean is specific or unique or particular revelation, as opposed to general, which could mean anything. General means to mean anything. Anything in the created order points to God because he made it all that's beautiful. But you need special revelation. Special revelation comes to us in words, in the precision of human language, which is another gift of God. Listen for a moment with me to the cadence of Hebrew poetry. Um, the Psalms, in case you haven't noticed before, uh, is Hebrew poetry, and Hebrew poetry comes in two halves. Uh, the technical word for this literary device is parallelism, which is a great tongue twister, parallelism, try saying that 10 times really quickly. The, the first half is paralleled in the second half. Uh, they might contain the same idea, but expressed differently. So for example, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Same idea, right? Creation is screaming out God's glory. Or the second half might expand on the idea in the first half or give the consequence to the idea in the first half which is what we see in this section from verse 7 following. Uh, incidentally, Hebrew parallelism is what makes uh, the Psalms great for responsorial readings. Parallelism is, is the thing that makes the Psalms a fantastic thing for our worship together. Uh, call and response, right? Where the leader says the first half and the congregation responds with the second half. Okay, we've just had morning tea. Why don't we try this with uh, verse 7 through to 11? I know you've probably all got different translations. Don't worry, just go for bold. Go for gold, you know. Just say it boldly and it'll be, we'll be fine. I'll say the first half and you respond with whatever your second half is. All right? Let's give it a go. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The ordinances of the Lord are sure, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. All right, we'll stop there. Well, there you go. Uh, I understand you do this in your first congregation, but not in the others. So if you're in the later congregations, be jealous right now. <laughs> well, what have we just read? We've read a declaration of praise to God for the glory of his word. Special revelation. Look at it again, verse 7. It's refreshing. It's not just head knowledge, but it's, it's soul care. You know, it's, it's for wisdom. It's for training in wisdom. Uh, one of my daughters, her name is Hui En Kwan. It means wisdom and grace. It's verse 8. It's effective. It's joy-giving. It's, it's to the heart, not just the head. And it's light to the eyes. It's for the provision of clarity of vision. Uh, verse 9, it's, it's pure and holy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not just smarts, but you know, biblical wisdom is right choices. The capacity to make the right choices in the complexity of life. Uh, verse 10, it's, it's more than riches. It's more than appetites. Gold and silver will fade. Honeycomb will go bitter in your mouth eventually. Stay away from evil, verse 11. Do good, for in doing good there's great reward. Such glory, isn't there, in special revelation. Oh, that we would stick to God's word and read, mark, learn, inwardly digest all of the scriptures. But please notice the psalm does not end there. The psalm isn't in two halves as if you know, you look at a sunset, you think it's pretty, draws you God, not enough, read God's word, end of story. It is not enough. Even special revelation is not enough. For that, we need a personal revelation of God, verse 12 to 14. <coughs> it's almost as if the psalmist David realizes at this point in the song, oh, wait a moment, as, as super as God's word is, when I reflect on my life, and you think about David's life, right? When I reflect on my, my life, it's verse 12. It's verse 12. Who can discern their own errors? Lord, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Please hear what David is saying and praying right here. In our heart of hearts, who among us can assert that we've lived definitively perfect lives without have, ever having wronged anyone or harbored any wrong or unworthy thoughts or ha having never had mixed motives in every decision that we've made? And, and what about our willful sins, the times when we knew it was a wrong thing to do, but we did it anyway? Or our addictions that once given into end up ruling over us? Each of these, each person, each of us must cry out to God, forgive my hidden faults, keep me from willful sins, may they not rule over me. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, and I trust many, most of you are, then you know exactly what I'm talking about here. You cannot begin to follow Jesus until you've had this personal revelation from God this personal conviction from God 
of your own errors, failings, sins, shortcomings, weaknesses, ungodlinesses, unholinesses. And a deep, deep sense that you need, above all, to be made right before God and that you're powerless to achieve it on your own. But welcome to the heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who through all the pages of the gospels, calls people everywhere to repent, sin no more, and come follow him. I hope you've met this Jesus. I trust that most of us here this weekend are here precisely because we've met this Jesus and we want to be encouraged as we keep following him. But you know, and I know, that there are many, many amongst us at our front lines who live apart from Christ and as enemies of the gospel of grace. Why? How? Well, a simple answer from this psalm is simply because they haven't yet had this personal revelation from God, without which they can't and no one can come to Christ. So the application here is super simple. Pray that they will see Jesus and be gifted by God, just as we have with this personal revelation, have a personal encounter with the living Holy Lord God who calls all to repent and follow him. Please remember that in the temptations of Christ, we saw good evidence that even Satan has received special revelation. He knows the scriptures. He knows them backwards. But it has not saved him. So this is the takeaway. General revelation, special revelation, personal revelation. You actually need all three to live a life of rejoicing in God. I've met in my time some Christians, typically younger, uh, actually also typically male, who've kind of like become Christians and they love the Bible. If they could, they'd carry a leather-bound King James everywhere and smack people in the head with it. You know, ever met anyone like that before? Uh, I often say to young guys like that who might still meet from time to time, when was the last time you took a Sabbath day and just went for a walk and took in some beauty in creation and spent half a day praising God and saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth, the whole earth is filled with your glory? Uh, the answer is usually not often, but guys who focus in on special revelation need a healthier vanilla slice of general revelation in their lives, don't they? All of us need all three categories of revelation in order to lead lives of rejoicing in the Lord. That's what the Psalms say in this introduction to God and each of us. So I wonder which is it for you? Which bit of revelation do you need a little bit more in your life in order to lead that life of rejoicing in the Lord Jesus? As I did before, let me end uh, this session uh, with prayer and uh, hopefully to model praying through the three sections of Psalm 19. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, the heavens declare your glory, the skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. 
And as we are gathered here this weekend, how we praise you that uh, we have ample opportunity to bear witness to that in the world that is right around us here in Kulam. Father, we pray that each time we see your handiwork in the created order, we pray that your Holy Spirit would call to mind these wonderful words in the Psalms across all of the scriptures, which we may use then to praise you for your magnanimous gift to us in the beauty of our created world. And Father, we pray further that those who might behold wonderful things in your word might be granted the special gift of special revelation from you to also behold wonderful things in your word. For Lord, your law is perfect, refreshing all souls. Your statutes are trustworthy, making wise all simple people. Your precepts, Lord, are right, giving great joy to the human heart. And we long, Lord, for those gifts of joy and wisdom and refreshment for those in our lives who still live life apart from the Lord Jesus. Help us to share the clarity of your word, which, which speaks to the character of your son with the people at our front lines. And as we do that, Lord, we pray for that final category of personal revelation to be gifted to them, that they might cry out in response to your word, how can I discern my own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep me from willful sins. May they not rule over me. So Father, we pray that you might gift these things to those whom we love, whom we are working amongst, whom we are seeking to introduce to Jesus through your word. And then, Lord, may we be united in giving you thanks and praise, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. This has been a podcast from St. Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.